Here we go, here we go, here we go. Episode 7, Jason Moses O'Toole making a return back in the house. I'm not sure which kind of house we're talking about here, but some kind of a house. One with a podcast recording setup, I suppose, because that is what we did. We sat down, we talked about esports again, and this conversation was a lot of fun. We went over quite a few different topics, and I don't know, it's, it's just so cool to have Jason on. He's just, I can already tell he's one of those guys I'm just going to be having on repeatedly on the podcast. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? He talks about kind of strike for a living, and, you know, so he has a lot to say, and he has practice in getting it out there and articulating it so a lot of fun indeed we talk about the status quo i suppose i was thinking about what a good title for this one would be and I, and I feel like that really sort of encapsulates the episode fairly well because we do jump from various topics but we talk about how it is to be talent and traveling around and you know trying to manage relationships we talk about uh, players and, and the current uh, problems with you know practice and and schedules and tournament formats you know we talk about uh, all sorts of jazz it's uh, it's a good one so without further ado jason moses o'toole ladies and gents okay i'm recording now everything seems fine so welcome to the podcast jason we're, we're back we're, we're back. back again so quick yeah so at this event i'd intended to get a podcast of all kinds of people device um supposed to do him today but he didn't get back to me unfortunately i'm probably gonna cut this out such as a such as a player because i'm you know throwing him under the bus there but you have you have thrown him under the bus it's okay though yeah it's okay i gave i gave three interviews this morning uh when i was over at the venue with with people such as unicorn people such as double tap and i have to say i did put the players on, on blast no one specifically but i did put the entirety of the professional playing scene um I, I threw my own bus at them, I guess you would say. <laughs> the Jason I bus. I did throw a massive bus at them, and I feel a little bit bad about it. Was it the struggle bus? Is that the, the, the bus you threw? No, it was a painful, gigantic, it was like a twisted metal bus. Um, the, the monster From, from the PlayStation game, yeah. So nice. that was brutal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just generally, I've, I've had it, so uh, yeah. What, what, what in particular was it about the sort of discussion about players? Can you elucidate? That, so I was asked by the interviewer a question. Uh, actually, I don't remember what it was. Uh, I think it was something about... Uh, actually, I don't know. Screw it. I forget the question. Um, but I did say something. My answer to said question was something like, um, you know, I see all these like tweets and, you know, you have all these interviews with players and, and they kind of are attacking Valve and they feel like the game has stagnated and that Valve needs to add something new. And I said, well, for, for me and from, I think, uh, you know, I don't speak for guys like Yanko and Chad, but they are, you know, the analysts I spend most of my time with, obviously. Um, I say from, from my perspective and from an analyst perspective, the game has stagnated more because it feels like there are teams out there who don't know how to practice well enough and who don't improve enough across event to event. There are teams out there that make mistakes over the course of multiple events over multiple months. Um, and at some point, like it's just kind of boring to watch teams making the same mistake and not improving. There's, we've never, I don't think we've ever had a gap this big in the history, maybe since 2013 with NIP and the 87-0 and run, where there's been such a profound invisible gap in ability of the number one team which right now is astralis and the number two team which is phase who fair play they're playing with the stand-in but astralis just seems so far above the rest of the field at the moment and to me 
there's nothing that makes these these players or this team any any more or less special than than any of the other teams in the field, except for the fact that's that they seem to be the first team that finally gets it in terms of practice and preparation, right? Um, so it, it's mind-boggling to me that no team has been able to kind of catch up and, and be able to improve and be able to play, you know, good Counter-Strike the way that they are at the moment. Is that just you know down to like this this? Uh, I mean, we, we talked about it on the first podcast we did just the disorganization of the players from just a perspective of coming together and making their demands because it, it, you know of course this seems to be the case that you're, th you're thinking okay well what is stopping them from being able to do this well the first thing you think of is the oversaturated schedule yeah. and then you think about okay you know what then why okay why are they traveling all this time i'm surely surely that can't be comfortable and then you start to think about it okay well well, okay, well, then they're getting, by doing more events, they get more exposure for the sponsors. Okay, this is probably a decision made by the team owners, you know, so, and the management. Yeah, so. I think I think this is why, I think you're right. And this is why I feel a little bit bad about it. I don't really feel all that bad, but just a little <laughs> bit bad is, is, they is have because... The players do have the power, though. Yeah, but it is also because there is that kind of a crazy schedule where they don't always have the time to do that. But that's where, like, the efficiency has to come in, and that's where they do have to start skipping events if they're not performing the way they want to. Um, and I guess uh, on another level as well, I guess at a certain degree, if you're, if you're a player or if you're an org owner, you know, the goal of being like a top four team, right? And making sure you get the invites to the event is like perfect because you're getting all the visibility, you're going to the events, you're having chances. But like, when is the goal to be the number one team in the world, right? When are you trying to make that leap? Uh, and if you don't take time and work at it, then it's never going to happen. And and by the way, I mean, I, I know it's not entirely the player's fault. I mean, part of it is the tournament organizers having such a massive schedule and then not really working together to create something which don't necessarily expect TOs to do. Um, because I, I look at, you know, I also look at myself and I know there have been plenty of events where I haven't felt like my commentating has been at 100%. And I know there are events where... Um, not just events, but just in general, where more can be done from a casting and an analyst perspective. Um, but I know that's also not entirely my fault. I know part of it comes down to a tournament organizer wanting to create, you know, the show and have the content that I want to create or have the tools that I can use on the desk to be able to do something. So it's never just one thing. It's never just like it's not just me who's kind of dropping the ball. And in some cases, it's it's also not just the players. It is kind of an entire Counter-Strike community at, at this level that, that needs to collectively raise the bar. Um, but, but yeah, the players got the biggest, biggest part of that bus. <laughs> it is, a it's an interesting one. Cause, um, as you say, like, <laughs> I like this image of the bus. I feel like, I really feel like, I, I just wish, you know, one day, maybe one day my show will get big enough. This, this, you know, someone, you know, have like fans making artwork for it. And then we can have the, yeah, it's, see, see, the here's the, what the you have to do. The bus. Here's what you do. You just hire someone to, to do that for your show to begin with. And then you just retweet it and you don't ever tell anyone that you hired them. And you're just like, look how popular my show is. People are making artwork for it. <laughs> And then oh, you, well. and then you've got started on the right track. Okay, well, maybe I'll have to leave a few episodes for because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now the idea is out there. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 a funny one though because I guess like when you get to that top eight uh, level of teams, you kind of do get the privilege. I think you know if if you are the tier two, then you don't really get the, the privilege to be like, well, you know, actually, so you know, Mister Team Owner, we we actually don't want to do every event. And they're like, well, you're bloody tier two, aren't you? So yeah, you better get your ass even, to those even if you talk to like the tier two teams, like I just like the, the first thing that energy said to me after like, you know, Starlighter when I went up and I was like, hey, you guys were great this event, like nice job. And I forget which one of them said it, but there's a lot of logic in it. But it is just kind of funny to laugh at where they just say, I just can't wait till we start getting invited to events because no one wants to go <laughs> through that grind of online seasons of online qualifiers just to get to these events. It's difficult. Yeah, I think. um I think I'm a pet put it out there that to qualify for ECS because, and listen, we're, they, they just qualified yesterday for the semifinals. I know after this event, it's not going to be criticism level at the team, but it is going to be just criticism in general is that they get to the semifinals. 
but they only had to win two best of ones to get there. And that's going to be a criticism. And I know I'm, a, you know, he said, you know, we had to play 17 games of a season and of essentially an online qualifier to get here. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's truth in that. And I guess that's the way you have to look at it when it is a tournament that is like the, the end of a season, the championship tournament of a season. But um, still, I don't know. I, I just think that that invite level, once you get there, I think a lot of teams just feel that pressure kind of come off them because they are being invited to events. They don't have to work as hard anymore. They have more travel and they have more opportunities to make that kind of a money. It does. It does kind of make me think of you know the potential utopia that you know. It's just nice to fantasize about you know this this ideal situation when everyone's in a good spot because you're saying you know uh, quite rightly so. That it's not just you know the the players that that suffer. You know it's it, the, the talent as well um, who do yeah. all the broadcasts as well as you know the production teams as well who are also doing you know as many events as they are. Um, everyone sort of suffers in a way that they uh, and and not suffering from this sort of you know you, you want to look at people and pity them. I don't mean that, but I mean that people suffer from performance perspective as you as you mentioned. Yeah. So you know if you it's, it would be always it's always interesting to discuss the ideal sort of circumstances for the you know 100 percent performance um, <laughs> um uh, when it comes to you, <laughs> exactly. yeah, could, you lost your train could, of thought. Could, could, could you you made right. your own joke <laughs> and it wrecked you <laughs> um yeah so um oh god what have i done so either way because for a commentator you know when you're doing a big event you're, you're thinking Okay, I've got one best of three. That's perfect. I there's no there's nothing in your brain that's limiting you. But if you have two best of threes, I feel like even if you you know say to yourself, I'm going to go 100 percent um, to to give like all of my energy and just really just make sure I have the the, the best possible focus and performance here. It's it, there's a part of your brain that still is holding on to to some extra energy and and holding on to the reserves it's kind of like running in that way like if you if you go if you go running you're, you're you know you, it starts to get very uncomfortable but your brain st still allows you know even when you feel like you can't run anymore there's still like a yeah. lot of extra gas in the tank like when you hit empty there's still that you know 25 miles you, you've got left out of the tank and i feel like that's how it is for commentators don't know what kind of sometimes. runs you're going on you <laughs> psychopath but yeah um yeah I, I think more so it's not so much I think the drop-off comes, well, I think most of it is the mental strain, obviously, especially with some of the circuits, some of the stretches that we've done this year where, um, you know, we're in we're in Australia, right? And there, we're doing the online season, and then we go to DreamHack uh, Marseille, come back, do one more week of the online season, um, and then we fly out to Australia. We do IEM Sydney, and then, you know, we had, like, a week off fair play there, but then you go to Dallas and then, you know, four days off and then we're in Ukraine and all of these events, maybe outside of one to two teams have the same exact teams there and the same exact, the same exact squads. Um, and you have all these squads that are in this, all these teams that are in this limbo period where they're trying to improve or they're kind of not at their peak. And because of that, they don't have well-established map pools. So you're watching the same teams play the same map, you know, essentially six weeks in a row with, you know, one, one week off in there. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the lethargic nature that I think we we deal with on a on a mental thing is like, how are we going to get excited to to cast these matches when we just saw this played a week ago when we just saw it played you know even before that maybe three weeks before that and then one week before that we saw it online and um, you know where's where's the kind of excitement and I think from from a, from I know from my perspective and I'm sure there's there's some analysts and some other casters who share this although I, I haven't quite you know necessarily sought them out or, or would want to name them um i think most of most of my issues with it is from the preparation point of view um you know people always say like how do you how do you prep for a tournament and you know you always see like you know i know red eye tweets out like his kind of prep for his dota events that he does and everything like that and the answer is i don't 
just because one, we, we are at so many events and um, most of the knowledge that we have is just in there from seeing it from a week ago. But also there's there's no real way to prep for an event anymore because there's just not enough time. Like if I want days off, it is the two, you know, that I was, I've been on the road, I've been home less than a month since January. So when I get my days at home, I am not doing Counter-Strike. I am not prepping. And even if I'm traveling... You won't suck on anything. I know. You traitor. But even if you're doing an event one weekend to back to a three days of online league and then to an event that weekend, you have maybe one day off to do prep. And once again, it's like, well, I have to send in five invoices and do laundry. And it's like, I'm not going to think about Counter-Strike on that day either. So it's it's this really weird thing where... And yeah, you can say like, you know, take take a take an event off. You can say the same thing that we say to the players to say it to us. Um I think it's a little bit of a different scenario for, for us in a certain degree. Um, but but also, I mean, it's just, even if I wanted to prep, even if I had the three days, I remember I used to do this for the majors, right? So, you know, I'm going to prep so hard for this major. I'm going to come in with like a whole packet prepared of all the stats that I want. And then you actually get down and you sit down to the task and you're like, even if you have the number of teams of the major, if you kind of estimate the eight teams you think are going to make it to the playoffs, that's eight teams that you have to research seven different maps. And even if you eliminate, you know, one or two maps, they have permabands. You go down, let's just say five maps per team. That's so many maps. And if you want to watch demos and review, you can't just watch one demo of a map that they played, you know, 20 times in the past week. You have to watch a couple to notice the tendencies and to have any kind of meaningful thing. And all of a sudden, for one team to, to study five maps to watch 10 demos, you know, how do, where are you going to find that time? Where's that going to happen? And, and it just, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot. I think that there is out there to prep for outside of the basic stuff. And <laughs> even if you do, when we get to a, if you get to a desk segment, where's the, where, where are the tools to show that, you know, like where, what, yeah. what do you actually have on a desk? You have your memory. Um, I think one of the greatest crimes that we've, that we have in Counter-Strike at the moment is, is the way that, you know, our production, our broadcast just abandoned the analysts on the desk. And I'm saying this as someone who's a caster now who spent two years in the desk and, Part of the reason why I am a caster now is because of the frustrations of you being out. on the desk. <laughs> yeah, I got out it. when I could. Um, I, but I mean, just like think of it this way: like, and and um, we had the first the first we- uh, weatherman segment that we had was Yanko at the Dreamhack Malmo, right? Now, what a lot of people don't know that was very early on when he transitioned from being an observer to being an analyst, and then thank God he did that. Yanko was great. Um, but part of the reason why they gave him the weatherman segment was because at the time he's his English wasn't as strong right so they wanted to give him some counter-strike to kind of base his you know have like a knowledge so he could you know easily navigate and he knew exactly what he was going to say and he could kind of pre-plan it because he'd have a round selected out right give him some extra help on, on kind of you know performing in front of the camera in his in his second language um and he knocked it out of the park but you can count on what two maybe even one hand the amount of times that we've had working telestrators in a, in a working weatherman segment since then in two years I've had, you know, I know E-League did it with a, with a tablet. I know some of the, the other DreamHack Masters events did it. Outside of that, where's... Do you think it's just this, this case that a lot of these... Um, a lot of uh, people who are in charge of creating this show um, and budgets and various things like that, they're just looking at this, these segments and like, well, it's just, it just, just doesn't seem to be a point. Do you think that's, that's the, the problem? It's actually a, a signifier of, of a greater issue in the way that we run um, analyst segments or the formats that we have at tournaments that don't properly allow it. Like, for example, we don't have a, a match of the day, really, for example. Like, after a, a bunch of, of, of games, we don't have this hour and a half slog of analysis with tools and replays yeah. and 
so on. I don't. I don't. I guess that's not necessarily a question for me. I think it's. I think it would have to be budgetary. Um, in terms of, I know there was a great thread on Twitter when Yanko brought up some of the issues he had. I forget after what event, uh, where Adam Apicella from MLG responded and was like, all of a sudden, if you want, if you want to run a segment like that, you have to obviously pay for the Telstra. You have to have it there. You have a separate TV for it. You have to have all these these cables running in you have to have a separate you know i don't i don't know all the production equipment that you need so there's probably there's obviously monetary investment there um he mentioned you'd need a separate producer again i don't know if you could be able to run that with just the one same producer that does the main show um but you know he he kind of listed off all these you know obstacles that he just thought of off the top of his head without knowing the detailed situation and yeah there's probably some obstacles there but i mean still we need there needs to be something right like they, they need to have something you put them on the desk and here's the analyst is the analyst is the most um, is the most unfortunate creature in Counter Strike broadcast. Um, maybe even more so than a host in a certain way, because the host gets gets fucked on scheduling. Right, Ooh, the host yeah. has to do everything, uh, every single segment, uh, which is which is also a crime. Um, but the analyst is expected to be knowledgeable at the game. Um, he's expected to demonstrate that knowledge with like a wow moment every single segment he's expected to be funny to be able to entertain the audience tuning in um he's expected to fill time when called upon at any random moment he might need to fill for an extra 15 to 20 minutes and depending on you know the organizers you know like the the eastern europe guys like star ladder like epicenter usually you can get up to you know i think they filled for two hours at an epicenter last year um and they're also expected to be able to make their point quickly and succinctly if they need to if they need to all of a sudden, you know, throw to get the game started or whatever it might be. They're expected to do all of these things and they have no tools to do it. They're just a talking head that just sits there and they're not given anything to work with. Um, And I know, like, imagine being a commentator and not having the kill feed. That's like what the analysts have to work with. Or imagine being, you know, a teacher without a whiteboard or a blackboard or whatever it might be. Imagine being a cab driver without a rear view mirror. Just one, like, essential piece of your job that you use to be efficient at it is just never there. Um, and that's it's, it's insane the amount of pressure that's put on them by community as well, because I know one of my big frustrations um, was towards the later stages of my analysts uh, of being on the desk and um, was kind of like, oh, you know, you know, Moses doesn't actually like demonstrate any kind of in-game knowledge. And like, that's fair play. You can always disagree with me, but um, it's because you give up at a certain point. And when you're on the desk, you're you're expected to be this knowledgeable creature, and there's so much there's so much emphasis on being knowledgeable and having in-game knowledge, and you need a personality that knows the game at the professional level. And the people who can who can provide that the easiest, who have all the tools, are the commentators. And you look at our you look at our commentator trios at the time, and it was you and James, it was Anders and Semler, and it was it was Matt and Henry, and. You know, I mean, this is this isn't like a slight against any of you guys, but yeah, no, you know, there's there's no like color commentator in, in you and in you and uh, you and James, where there is, but there's no professional Counter Strike experience there. Same with Anders and Semler. Henry was a professional source player, and that's not a knock. I think he he does a phenomenal job, but it's it's a different type of analysis that you do when you're when you're casting. Um, but if you if you look at that, that's minimal amount of analysis provided by the majority of the show, and everyone wants to knock on the analyst for not being able to demonstrate when they have nothing. You know, we you have to call from memory around and replay it in your head and be able to translate that to the viewers while the camera is just you. It's not even game footage. So all of a sudden, you know, how are you expected to make some kind of a complex that's, point? That's, that's um, one of the worst things that we don't have any visual assists. Um, yeah. that, that, because if you want to ask someone to create a point that is succinct and that is absolutely like the highest value quality or asset as to uh, or skill set if you are an analyst on the desk be succinct find a quick way to make a point but then 
most of that is trying to actually describe <laughs> as, a, yeah. as though you're like, you know, George R.R. R. Martin or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, remember back to uh, round seven in that first half, it was 45 minutes ago. Uh, sun was setting. I forget <laughs> the player at the time, but it was so-and-so was coming back into the bar and it's... Light was hitting the... And the, that, that was always the, the thing that pissed so. me off the most is like, why is there just such like, why do I have to be funny, knowledgeable and succinct when, you know, I have you know, three minutes in a desk segment. And I also have another another guy that I'm working with who needs to have his time to say something, yep. to have his opinion. Um, and then the casters get an hour to go through the game. And you got one one duo talking about what Sunday roast is, is your guys' big thing and, and cheeseburgers. And then you got the other one making gay jokes. Well, let's, and... uh, let's, let's just, uh, you know, put, we can put J- that's the funny, that's actually the funny thing, right? I was about to say, you can put James in the corner by himself. Yeah. And then, then Matt needs a corner by himself. Yeah. And Henry's his own thing, and then Anders yeah. is losing his mind. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, whatever, he's talking about simulations, and I, and I'm I'm out here on the desk, and I'm just like, please, I just want something. <laughs> <laughs> just put Counter Strike footage on the screen. Can't wait to see like the documentary that is like the slow decline of Anders or something, which is just it's like be the broadcast year yeah. by year by year, just just looking at the the transformation. Yeah, the, the signs were always there. Yeah, you know, they like... were all there. We should have seen it. Uh, well. Yeah, no, but that that was that was always my frustration on the desk. And I know um, the the other one is obviously the schedule, which is kind of lessened. I think the organizers have started hiring extra analysts for every event, so they get a better rotation. Um, you know, back back when twenty sixteen and even most of twenty seventeen, the majority of it was you were you were kind of like the host. You were doing every single segment. So so being a being an analyst was just torture. Um, getting to watch casters uh go out and enjoy the city and have dinner and go out for drinks and stuff and you know hour 15 you're sitting there like fuck my life <laughs> but that, that's all in the past i've it's, gotten over it i hold no grudges yeah i have joined the the dark side now i am yeah. i am one of you there you go there you go but i mean that's the that's the thing though it's like um we i, I always feel like we never did enough to to try to facilitate change i don't know if you agree with that but i feel like a collective effort was ne- not necessarily made in the ways that it could have been to help to really appeal and uh, to 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 create some kind of resolution uh, to at least you know alleviate. Some Are you of, talking some about the, the caster versus analyst thing? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Because well, uh, yeah, go on. Because in part, you know, sometimes it was looked in this looked at in this way that you have the analysts versus the the casters. Like there's like uh, yeah, a, there was a that hidden small animosity division, yeah. there because and it's you know it was no one's fault really um, as far as the people in the green room. I mean, this instance, but I feel like collectively it's in everyone's interest to create a better working environment for everyone. I mean, it just, it just helps the broadcast, helps everyone. So yeah, it's just always it's difficult when you get into those because I mean I've, I'm now. I mean, it's still there to a degree. I know I catch it. I catch that flack from analysts now that I'm a commentator. How quickly they forget that I was <laughs> yeah. that I was an analyst at one point. You must and, be the worst because you, you're a turncoat now. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm the traitor. Um, but I, I mean, it's one of those weird things where you. It's always going to be difficult when you have to ask one group to give up like a massive amount of their luxury, right, for the other one. And and I agree with you. I think that there should be more to to kind of you know help the analysts. Um, and I remember when I had these arguments as an analyst with the casters, or not arguments, but discussions with them, they were just like, why, why am I the one giving something up? And, and you know, cause, cause I remember, I think I remember when the, when the split first happened was right after Cluj. Cause remember Cluj was one of the last events where that major, we had the casters on the desk with us and everyone would be doing both roles. People would cast and be on the desk. Um, and everyone was going back and forth. And I think it was just what Richard and Richard and Duncan, that were only two staples on the desk. 
Um, and after that, when the duos kind of got set up, it was it was after that it was it was yeah we're not going to be on the desk anymore, and we're on you know we're only casting with each other as well. Um, so once you started in 2016, all of a sudden things got much much more defined, and the analysts never kind of have that same power as as the commentators do. Um, but yeah, there, there needs to be more done. I, I think the scheduling portion has kind of worked itself out. I think most events now, um, the tough part is when you go to an event, even well, like Epicenter, I think is the one where like, you know, the kind of the smaller, not like tier two events, but like, I guess the tier two organizers, if you can put it that way, without being too insulting, you know, like ESL and, and, and face it and, um, you know, E-League and, and refresh and blast would, would probably be up there in like the tier one organizers. And when you get down there, star ladder is probably up there as well. Um, they still kind of operate on that, that mindset. We only need two analysts for a whole event. Um, but the scheduling has mostly been figured out. Now it's the tools. Now it's like, what can we give them to actually do their job? And it's, it, it comes, it comes, I don't know how you feel about this. Cause I think right now what the big thing is, it comes down to like a philosophy of what you want the desk to be. If you want it to, fill time and be entertaining, um, then you don't need those tools and you need to hire the right personalities to do that. And if you want it to be an actual analysis desk, if that's what you're looking for to be able to break down and preview the upcoming game, then you need to give them the tools to work with. And it doesn't necessarily matter which philosophy you fall under because I think there's there's going to be people with different philosophies and there will always be different events. I know ECS, for instance, takes a much more casual approach to their to their desk, especially during the online season um, than like ESL, who obviously wants to like focus theirs more after like a Sky Sports. Um, but like you, you need to give the tools to whichever philosophy you're subscribing to, you know? And I don't know how you, I don't know if you like the desk to be more analytical or if you like them to be more fun and casual, but you know, you need to pick one at some point, right? Yeah. I think, I think what that really speaks to is the fact that you do need every part of that in within a show. You need the, the entertainment value. You need the comic relief. You need the personality, yeah. but you do also need to pay respects uh, to the integrity of the, of the sport and the competition um, as well with, with, you know, really good analysis uh, for the people who are really passionate about the teams and the players that they, that they are fans of. So I think we just have this, this general problem where there's just, there's like too many games that the way I, I actually don't know what the solution is because yeah, I mean it, it's really difficult. I mean, in 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 the perfect world, in a sense, maybe you do have like a match of the day type situation where you have a two-hour slot where the analysts take all the matches of the last you know days, a uh, couple days or whatever, and they just go through them, the the, the highlight moments, the, the the important narratives and storylines, and and the, and you make a show out of that, and you know you throw some entertainment in there. Or you have to somehow squidge it into the event, which is already tightly packed, yeah. and then they can't really do analysis, but they can kind of do entertainment well. And I do think the desks in Counter-Strike are really good from an entertainment perspective. Unfortunately, I know that a lot of the analysts have, have uh, generally been outspoken as well and saying that, yeah, well, you know, it's, we're doing a good job, but this is actually when people turn off the stream. So, <laughs> so um <laughs> um, and that's not always true, of course. It's a bit of a grim outlook, but yeah. but I do think that that's um, people do find like we we have all the talent like that can do all of the I things. It's just the this arrangement. Is, this is where you start tying into like mental fatigue, though, because the first thing that happens when you're overworked and overstressed, whether it's a commentator, whether it's an analyst, whether you're just creating content for a show or for a broadcast. Uh, whether it's live or recorded is the fun stuff is the first thing that goes right you don't want to do the skits you don't like have that creativity you're not thinking about something in between like oh you know i have this funny joke that you know i have about so and so or this team or this player or, or i have this little skit we can do that those are the first things that get tossed out so you can't have as much fun like when was the last time we saw someone smashing a baguette against the table not that that was like some kind of like example of high tier <laughs> comedy but you know yeah. it's something yeah. you know yeah. um so 
Yeah, it is. I, I think I think our 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 broadcast team, whether you know between me, you, James, Anders, Matt, Henry, Alex, Yanko, Chad, like we have all the the ability to have those fun segments, right? We have all the knowledge, and we can be those fun personalities and creative personalities. Again, it comes down to I know some producers don't want that as part of their show. Some of the some producers want their show to be more serious than others. Some shows uh, and producers are willing to be willing to be more open about it but i mean the, the more thing is when you talk about the amount of games is just like where's the time like if we wanted to create like a five to ten minute segment like pre-show of us playing a game of some sort you have some you, you set up kind of a skit that you have some kind of a prop on the desk where uh, i don't know something something silly but like where do you find that time in the broadcast between all these games you just have to churn them out i know like for instance like i know i told esl because their their online seasons are, are cu- quite a slog we did like six games a day last season i know you guys do more with with both the regions um but it is just kind of it is you know at times during the season it's you're really battling through oh, insanity yeah. of those oh, stretches yeah. those <laughs> online seasons are a grind for us um and i know when i talked to esl after the season i was just like why don't you guys like you can make this so much easier instead of doing like six games a day, take take the best best of two there is of that day, and you know say you know you have if we just use the North American scene say you have like complexity versus ghost you've got like NRG versus luminosity and then you've got like Cloud Nine Liquid you pick Cloud Nine Liquid and you make that the game of the day and what we do is you do a four hour show about that matchup specifically and. The other games get broadcast on a different stream or whoever. You open up the Go TV IP, and obviously this comes into the broadcasting rights, but we can avoid that kind of a conversation. But all of a sudden, you have you can actually build a four-hour show around this, where you give the analysts, you know, an hour and a half to actually dive into the map of what's actually going to happen, actually able to do their Ooh. job, give them like the ability to research yeah, and plan like segments around it, and then and then that's just the broadcast for the day. Yeah, I like it's just that. the four-hour one instead of six hours where you just do bullshit about. Yeah, six yeah, different yeah. six different games and i think that would be so much more intriguing that's that's the crazy thing like when you watch traditional sports they obviously don't have to do like six basketball games or six you know soccer games in a row <laughs> can you imagine that, that'd be mental <laughs> but what they do is they build you know four or five hours worth of content around that one game or around the day's game and we don't we're not doing that in esports at the moment and it's it's difficult too just by the nature of nature of the map vetoes like i know this was one idea i had with refresh when they consulted with us they brought i know chad and i went into a meeting uh anders was obvious there as as, as well before their first event like months before it and they were like what what could help you guys do your job better and i just straight up said listen you don't have you have two days of games and you know exactly who's playing because it's round robin you know they all have to play each other right do the veto two weeks in advance just do the veto ahead of time. Let the analysts have the maps. Let them actually be able to research it. You know, at, at some point we can we can get to the point where we're building content around that map specifically for that matchup. And you don't have to put it on the broadcast. You can throw it on YouTube, throw it on Twitter. You can we can make shows leading up to an event for a week. And that's like in the future once you start building the broadcast. But if you have the maps ahead of time, which unfortunately is impossible when you do a major or when you do an IEM stop, then you actually you know that that problem that I have when I'm trying to research eight teams for five maps each, you can throw it out the window. I know exactly what maps to look at. I know exactly what matchup to look at. You know, so um, all of a sudden when you have that prior knowledge, you you open up the door, and that's one of the luxuries that we don't have in Counter Strike by nature of the map the map veto system that makes things difficult. Yeah, I remember um, in the very early seasons uh, with Face It, um, me and James pushed massively for the idea of just just being like guys just. Imagine if we know the maps for every single game before the season starts yep. of the entire season. And we actually did that for a couple of seasons at least. Um, and and 
teams um, don't like it though do they that's the problem yeah, teams <laughs> don't like it and it's really funny because we had some really interesting like humorous situations like we had like the we had train um that had just come in um at this point so this is a long time ago this yeah, is like yeah. 2015 that's, right that's way longer and uh it's a hot minute and it's so funny because and like, i just remember this distinctly nip they just they just really didn't care about the veto it seems and they just picked train every single time i mean obviously because you know their history yeah. with the map and in previous iterations of the game they're very good at it but that wasn't the case <laughs> they were kind of awful at it back then <laughs> it's like one of the worst maps in their pool but they just picked it every single time it's really amusing but yes that like it does it does seem like we haven't really like no one's really been brave enough to try to challenge the status quo and one of the interesting uh, issues i see with what you proposed although i do really like the idea of having that you know highlight matchup which yeah. you really dig deep into uh, one of the issues there is that there's a lot of fans out there that do just want to see the frags so they just want to see like they just want to see maps playing out now it's really up to uh tournament organizers you know broadcasters to dictate how the kind of the, the sport is watched and it's a great way to stand out from other other people as well so i'm surprised that no one has really really tested the waters there um because there's always going to be pros and cons the, the fact is right. is that what we have now has all the cons it has loads of cons right now yeah. as, as we've just been discussing yeah. um the thing Focus is on all the negatives <laughs> it's just it's just that it's just the status quo and it's always been like that and so no one's ever really questioned it yeah and, and that happens with so many things uh it's, there's so many instances where you know even even with you know for example players you know we see this um when when players get picked up from different teams and so on it's just the status quo they know people they have they have name value but that name value may not correlate whatsoever into the server you know not throwing anyone's name names in there but you know we yeah. all know as uh, so we can all bring up some names like that so and that happens you know you know within all industries so someone's i mean someone has to take the first step eventually because we've got to try these other formats surely yeah, no, they always you always have to tr you have, we have to be trying something new because obviously what, what's happening now I guess just isn't isn't working I guess I, I don't know like it's you I mean, know we still hear all these conversations about tournament organizers struggling to make money and it's yeah. just like well if you're not making money and you're and you're doing the same thing for five years in a row now like isn't that the definition of insanity? Well, that's that's the weird thing, isn't it? Because you know how how do you typically how how are you typically going to make the money? Well, the the most obvious answer is always you know, numbers. And so, you know, if, if you can get more eyeballs onto your product, you can sell more because of, you know, sponsorship deals and, you know, marketing affiliation, all that kind of stuff, right? That's the, that's the very basics of how the economy works with it all. And so I think that's, that's been like one of these inherent issues is that everyone's kind of sort of investing in esports and, you know, just like, you know, Fortnite's amazing because we're right. getting way more people that are going to be sort of literate in FPS now or pseudo fps you know it's kind of third person but yeah. same thing joysticks and mobile phones and all that yeah and 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 so so you know we're bringing more <laughs> and more numbers then we've got all the overwatch people like esports is becoming this sort yep. of term that's actually not no longer really a meme or a joke and is kind of what is used to define our industry which is great and you know we're getting to the point where we do have numbers but it's just this fluctuation is is difficult I, I, to monetize I, I think part of it is i think mostly what what hasn't caught up is our sales department's ability to sell on that to sell on true. these numbers, and I think that's the big thing. That's one thing I noticed with a lot of organizers is that when you talk to the bigger brands that have the cash to spend, um, you know that I think that's where there's a lot of a lot of ground to gain still um, is being able to actually market the product properly. I know E League uh, E League did a very good job, but their salespeople come from traditional sports, so they already have pre-existing relationships with brands like Arby's, Snickers, 
was it Domino's? <laughs> yeah. I think it was. Yeah, like you know, you know these other like ESL, ECS. We don't they, they don't have that kind of relationship with those kind of you know big big brands out there. Um, so that's not a knock on them. But I think eventually that's going to catch up. I think also um, we need we need real numbers. You know, we need <laughs> you need to be putting out the honest numbers. Um, yeah, and that's not a shot at anyone. It's it's just I, I think there's a lot of ways that the outside world coming into esports won't know exactly where's the, where the pitfalls are, where the landmines are. And I think there's a lot of people, and this is always the conversation. We see plenty of people on Twitter talking about it. Like this is where the esports consultants come in. And they, I think companies have to be very wary about that. I was always interested. There was, there was like a point of pride in my career where I got super pissed off. I got super triggered. Yeah. Um, and it, it did privately. I wasn't like on Twitter, like, you know, going crazy when all the NBA teams of the state started like, you know, backing up, you know, was it the Sacramento Kings or something is behind uh, NRG and, um, the rockets were coming in and there were all, there were all these squads like that were kind of backing all the, all the owners. And I remember when NRG picked up a counter-strike team and I was sitting there and I was like, why the fuck did no one consult me on who's putting together this lineup? Cause the first lineup that NRG brought together was just, Oh yeah. It was, it was terrible. It was I actually, and I was like, yeah. how did, how did I not get taught? How did no one say, let's, let's grab, you know, an expert of the North American counter-strike scene. You know, and we'll talk to. <laughs> I guess maybe they don't think I'm yeah, an expert. Maybe yeah, I just open yeah. myself to get wrecked here. Obviously, this guy has no in-game yeah. knowledge. What does let's, he know? Let's get that. Let's get out out of the way. We've all wrecked me. It's all funny. We all laughed. Um, but you know how, how? Like no one even said a word. Like yeah, well, yeah. you know, what is it? Not even like a message on Twitter to be like, hey, like this is the team we're looking at picking up. What do you think? Um, and that's that's because there's you know I've I've, I've actually talked to some people about that. Um, and asked that very question once I got done being pissed off and I, I was very reasonable about it. And I was just like, so how does that all that, how does that all work? And they were like, yeah, there's about like five steps of people that we talk to before we even kind of know you exist when you're coming from like the NBA world. And I mean, that's fair enough as it is, but it is just so very interesting. I'm like, where? Like, who are these Counter-Strike yeah, people? Like, like these, who are these experts of Counter-Strike? It's, it's like, that, like some evil faction, like the, the, the Sith is there or a, something. Is there like... a Skype group somewhere like <laughs> that I should be involved in? Because uh, these are the guys that are making more money than I am as well. Like they're making more money than being uh, like not knowing what they're talking about. Yeah, it's that's great. crazy. Yeah. How does that? It's just so I'm just like, well, let's let's lessen that. Let's let's remove like four or five four layers there. Maybe we should. We need to infiltrate. We need to become the esports consultants, Jason. I, you know, it is funny. I, I've I've actually, I mean, obviously, wanting to do more con consulting things just because the, the money's phenomenal and um, it's it's an easy way to do some work without having to travel like across the world to to do work, right? Um, and it's, it's, I know it's, it's, it's a tough world. Like a lot of your time is occupied by like having to have discussions with the people with money and convincing them to, you know, part with that money to you. Like yeah. you really have to be having some <laughs> wild conversations and it's, it's like, it's like talking to sponsors over and over. It's like selling, selling yourself as a product, which we were obviously used to, we used to doing to a certain degree, but within the counter-strike realm. And then all of a sudden you're talking to multimillionaires and it's like, yeah. why should I be giving you $200,000? Why should I be paying you, you know, $5,000 a day to consult for my company? And you know, <laughs> those probably aren't yeah. the easiest conversations to have either I, I feel like as well coming from the counter-strike world, like talking to those people in like big industry, we, we kind of have that effect of like, you know, like the 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 kid who's like been poor all his life has no entitlement. It's like, why why should I get that two hundred thousand dollars? That's a good that's yeah, a good right. question. Like, I don't. I'm glad that. you like, asked that. Sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's weird. Like, I even I can't have those conversations very well. I, I well, I, I probably could eventually, um, but I remember when we were at uh, Oakland last year. Um, you know, that's the 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 guy who owns the the stadium is the one behind Team Liquid. 
and I was talking to some of the Team Liquid guys who was in their booth, like having having a hot dog or something, or eating some of the food over there. And the guy walks in, and I get introduced by one of the Liquid guys who knows me, and he's like, "This is so and so. You know, he's one of the owners of of this booth of the arena. He's like one of the co-owners of uh, what is it, the Warriors? I think it is, or something like that." Um, and then just as like a, as like a throwaway comment, he's like, "Oh yeah," and he's also the guy who like you know co-founded like Nerf guns, and I was like what Whoa. i was like that was my childhood i have so many nerf guns back home it's unreal and that was the one that like floored me it wasn't it wasn't the basketball it wasn't the you know all the other it wasn't owning the arena it was the nerf guns because that was like my childhood and all of a sudden it was like that's big man wasn't like chills wasn't like you know yeah. get nervous but it was just like holy shit like how, like this guy's fucking loaded <laughs> nerf that's just nerf was I mean, the, nerf was great man when you get when you when you create a product where people like forget what the actual thing is called but they just call it by your brand name yeah that's when you've won you, you've won the game <laughs> you've, you've won absolutely the game. won the game well the best <laughs> yeah. part is what nerf was actually created by like a nasa astronaut or something oh, like cool. just just in as like his part time yeah but yeah. obviously doesn't have like the business expertise so it's this this guy who like did the did the did the legwork that's always that's always the issue, you know. Like having and you you brought this up earlier, just to ha- like having people that know business and know sales is yeah. really difficult because there's a lot of people. Because I I think I think it, I mean there's there's a lot of people out there that are that will always overestimate their ability. But I feel like, especially in the business uh, business world, you 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 come across that a lot where people yeah. really overestimate their abilities. And if and if you yourself are ignorant, there's just no way for you to know. Well, I think it's it's funny. There's like there's this trend, and I'm, I'm it's been lessening, I guess, over the past few years. Um, but there was there there was for a time, and there still is to a certain degree this thing where it's like, oh, this guy's been so dedicated to esports for like a decade. You know, give him the job. It's you know he deserves it. He's put so much work in, and it's like fuck that. Like I want someone who's going to come in and get results. Like yes. we don't need yeah. more people who grew up in esports. I think people for like I I came from an age of esports where if you were involved in esports you had failed at something else in your life. <laughs> yeah, you that's had so really true. failed at something yeah. else in your life. If you were in esports by like, you know, late twenties, early thirties, you had failed. Um, and, <laughs> and I mean, fair play. The reason I even got back into esports because I took, I was, I was out of it for like four or five years was, was because I failed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, man. I, I did not do college. Well, um, we're, we're fist bumping right yeah. now because, because so <laughs> same for me. I, I came back and it was, it was uh, not like, it was, I guess it was sort of a desperation where it was like, okay, hopefully Counter-Strike blows up after I'd watched, you know, I'd been watching LCS, you know, their commentators and everything. And uh, I, I, I got fortunate and lucky in that regard. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't want those people anymore. And I'm, I'm one of the people who benefits from that. I'm one of the people who like, if, if we were handing out esports jobs based off of tenure and who's been in the longest and who sacrificed the most, I'd probably be up there. I like to think with, with some of the things that I've, that I've had in my past with esports. Um, but you know, bring in, bring in the college graduate out of Harvard, who's sales guy and doesn't know esports. We'll teach him esports. Just sell. Yeah, no, actually this is, this is funny. I mean, I know a lot of people that have I mean, I'm surprised to learn uh, oftentimes because I'm just used to being surrounded by all the uh, esports people who are from esports. But I've, I've uh, come across at this point quite a few people that have come from the business world or come from the broadcasting world and then yeah. cu- then then learned esports after the fact. And they're some of the best people that I know yeah. in esports. Well, um, think about Turner as well when we were there. None of them knew anything about video games or Counter-Strike yeah. and they all love that yeah. shit now. Like the cameramen all know how the game is played. Like they're yeah. all, you know, mostly because they just want to go home. So they're just trying to learn how it's played so that they can see like what time they're going to get out. Um, <laughs> like yeah, the director, like uh, what's his name? Daly. 
Yeah. I had like logged like a hundred hours of Counter Strike against just bots. He just wanted to play the game, so he'd learned it. And those those guys came from television broadcasting, and they'd worked on soap operas, they'd worked on game shows, they'd worked on, on whatever, and they just learned the game. So it's not hard to teach esports to someone who wants to learn it. Um, and I think that's the big thing is is we now have this industry where it's exciting enough to attract people. So let's bring them in, and we can teach them. We can teach them the rest. They just need to be bringing that that business knowledge, and then kind of what we what we lack. Yeah. We and, we and and we lack many things. Jason. We do lack many, many things. <laughs> we lack many things. Yes, mental capacity being one of them. You know that. Um, so there was this um, Joe Rogan podcast uh, not so long ago about uh, yeah the sleep scientist on. Don't get me started on this yeah. one. I, I had to turn it off. It was scaring me. Oh yeah, it's, it's scary, isn't it? I like. There's so <sighs> many points that I absorbed from that, which is just fantastic. Everyone should listen to it because it's 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 scary, but you know it's the truth. The truth hurts, but you got to know it. Um, but one of the things was uh, how he was describing that, you know, once you're, you've been awake for like 18 to 20 hours, cognitively, it's the same as being drunk. And it's, and it's like, and I'm thinking to myself, the amount of broadcasts I've done where I've had to stay up for that amount of time, or I've been awake for that amount of time. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot. So then you add in the amount of broadcasts that we've done drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, well, that's, uh, <laughs> moving on, <laughs> moving on, uh, swiftly from that one. No, I, I, that is, that is scary to think about. I mean, just, just from that aspect of the cognitive, but also I know like one of them was if, if you are not getting, you know, your eight hours every night, if you know, you're sitting somewhere at like four or five hours, which happens frequently for a lot of us over the course of, you know, a six or seven day event when we travel. Shit likes a um, bitch. Yeah. And you start like, it starts aging you to like a massive, massive degree where like you are actually functioning like you're like you're actually aged like 10 years if you're not getting appropriate sleep and it's like holy fuck <laughs> yeah scary Please, no. I just, I just so you. yeah i had to turn that one off i didn't want to hear anymore i listened to like the first like 30 minutes of it and i was like nope yeah i yeah. already know all this stuff deep down even if i don't know the science behind it i know i'm destroying myself it's, it's amazing it's like saying yeah so actually when you're awake you're actually uh, at all times accruing uh, low level brain damage and uh, <laughs> it's just like I've already excuse got me what, what what are you saying why are you telling me this no but i mean that brings up like another another aspect of you know circling back to to even players and even us with with the kind of tournament schedule is like I, I think the hard part for a lot of us who have been freelance for so long is i think most of us are in that kind of mode where we realize we want to go exclusive because when you go exclusive and you can start creating kind of the content projects that i want to do for instance um you actually have an employer who's going to be willing to produce them as part of you know the deal and you're making it for them and you're helping them build the show and you feel like you're a part of this project instead of being the hired mercenary but also you get the calm down schedule and i think everyone's kind of ready for that on a certain degree it's just again it's it's one of those situations where the to's um whether it's monetarily whether it's in terms of resources whether it's in terms of organization or whatever it might be can't can't afford it on you know some level like I said, whether it's mon- mon- whether it's money or whether it's, um, you know, if I if I join this organization, part of my allure is that I part of the part of the lore of that would be that I can create some of the content I can do like my greatest games, which is which is a project that I still always have in the back of my mind to be able to do the next one. Um, but do they have the resources? Will they be able to give me a camera guy, like a crew, to to record the interviews? Will they have the editor available to me for like four days that I can do it on? I'm never sure about that. So for various reasons, it's just not a possibility at the moment, which is uh, which is kind of tough. And that's even before yeah. you start accro- impro- approaching, which we don't need to get into, but the political landscape of everything. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like, you know, uh, with Overwatch, let's say, the, the talent I'm Overwatch, so jealous of those motherfuckers. No, exactly. So I'm so jealous. I was about to say, like, if, if they had come up to me and said, hey, we're going to pay you you know, 
a six-figure salary, <laughs> yeah, a pretty big one. Yeah. You'll have to work six months of the year, four days of broadcast a week, and during the six months that you're not doing the Overwatch League, we'll have there'll be other events which you will get first dibs on, uh, being the the main Overwatch talent, and you can make you know like good feats from that. And you don't have to travel; you can stay yeah, in sunny located, California. Yeah. And you, you can you can just live your life. <laughs> you should have gone Overwatch. It sounds like you're already halfway there. Because like, that's that's like effectively what that's that's like how their deal goes. And it's like the, that world is so very different um, yeah. from a quality of life perspective. And oh, yeah. and um, I don't want to keep you for too too much longer. But I, I did want to talk a little bit about quality of life because I think quality of life super important. We can't be you know killing ourselves. And and I think a lot of the things that you've discussed. Um, like let's say you know just a bad format that creates you know bad working hours which creates tensions within the commentary group which creates an effect an impact on people's ability to be happy and creative affecting their ability to perform in the show affecting their ability to feel like that they have yeah. good job worthiness like there's a lot of like knock-on effects to this kind of lifestyle that that's uh that a lot of you you guys are living uh, more so than i am with with uh, the you know I've, I've had stints uh like you guys have done but not for the extended period and so so how do you like what and i, I this, this is the thing too when people talk to me about um this job sometimes i say that I say it's, it's amazing for many, many, in many ways, it is so amazing and I feel very privileged and, and, and lucky, but it, it, it was a hell of an adjustment period. It took me yeah. a good year and a half to two years of drinking too much, of doing too yeah. many self-destructive things to then find myself in a place where like, okay, now I kind of get the, the I understand how to like balance my life so that I'm not just like wanting to do horrible things. Those, yeah, that like first, all the time. yeah, no, that you're, I mean, you're exactly right. That first like year, year and a half, maybe even two years was just like a, a rush looking back. It went so quick from, from when I started in 2015 to it's cause you can't remember half of it. <laughs> well, yeah, is that. No, but it was just like one nonstop party. Wasn't it just self-destructive behavior of, of mostly yeah, just yeah. boozing. Just, I mean, just because all of a sudden, like we have this game, we love, we're traveling around the world and we're like, for me personally, I was probably making six times as much money than I'd ever made before in my life. Yeah, and all, and yeah. that happened very quick. That was within, you know, that I got to that point within like three months of starting to commentate, um, which was, which was insane. Um, so that was, that was very, you know, when you get to that point and you're just kind of enjoying the ride and you're not really thinking about the long term, you're not even sure if it's a career, you're just wondering, you know, is it going to last? Just going to have as much fun with this as possible. You're spending far too much money on booze. You're sleeping too little. You're going out. I think the other, the other tough part is, you know, obviously the first two things you do when you travel to a new city, and I wasn't very well traveled when I started this job, is one, you want to go, you know, experience the local cuisine, the local food and everything like that. And then obviously you want to see and the nightlife and you want to, yeah, you want to see what the bars are like. <laughs> you want to see what the, the women are like out at the bar. So you're going out and you're having a nice meal and, um, and then you're drinking and then you're getting a kebab on the way back. And, you know, <laughs> there's a reason why all of us at some point have grown a beard. And it's because, you know, we've all added on like that freshman 15 where like freshman in university gain all the weight from drinking beer, at least in the States. That's what we call it. Um, you, you have it's it's kind of the same thing with commentary. And I think now we finally, you know, last year, I think you were kind of one of the first people to get in, back into it was, you know, start getting yourself in better shape, start taking care of yourself. But it, it's not just it's not just that, because I think we kind of calmed down at the drinking probably towards the end of 2016, the drinking and yeah, partying. Yeah. Um, but it is just the time spent away from home. It's like, you know, do you are you always going to have access to a gym Our hotel gym's going to have everything you need to make sure you're, you're staying involved? Like, what do you do when you have eight hours to yourself or eight hours with which to do absolutely nothing in a city where you know nobody in a city that you've been to eight times? And you don't really feel like going out and exploring. How do you occupy yourself in a hotel room? Because 
the easy thing to do is go get a drink. You know, that's that's very easy. Just walk down to the hotel bar and have a beer. Um, but more than anything, it just the it occupies so much time that you don't have it for anything else. Like one of my passions. And, and, also, and also there, one thing, you're probably quite jet lagged. Yeah. Very fatigued. And, and maybe you're just, you're just trying to stay awake for and, five hours before, so you can actually get on yeah. the schedule, yeah. Because I wanted to say that, yeah, drinking is the really easy thing, but it is actually, it can be incredibly alluring because it's very de-stressing yeah. um, in, the, in that way when you're, and, and you're also, it's something that you can, it kind of, it's that bonding activity with the other talent who yep. aren't necessarily also your greatest friends, but people that you're on the road with and you've, you know, you've made friends of circumstance. It is, it is that weird thing where it's it is like a family thing uh, where i yeah. think it, where i think a lot of us kind of felt that camaraderie the, the family level camaraderie and I, a lot of us still do um on these kind of circuits because you do get annoyed with each other and you do fight whether it's over something professional or personal and you do argue and you do disagree and then you you do go out and have fun together and you do forget all about it so you're not always going to love each other you're not always going to be best friends but you are family in the regard that you know we always repair the relationship I don't. I say always. I, I don't mean always. <laughs> Usually, for me, always. Um, but no, I, I think the big thing with the quality of life as well is you don't have any time to to get away and just take your brain off of esports or, or Counter Strike is the tough part. You know, it occupies over so many different time zones, especially now that Asia is getting more involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you know, no matter what time of the day it is, you can always get a message about someone who wants something, who wants to do work, or who wants you know some kind of thing. Um, but you know, you look at you know, for instance. Me with, with, with hiking is something that I'm starting to try and get back into. That's kind of a big thing. Um, I know like Matt has his racing. Um, Henry has, what does Henry have? He's got something. Uh, Music. He, he's got money. You have, you had your, your hobby. Of, <laughs> you have your hobby of like trying to uh, get back in shape, being able to do the handstand and everything. And yeah, you were doing I've, the, I've, the uh, rings, the surgery, similar. Yes, <laughs> you, have, you have that. Similar found his, his climbing. That was something he did when he was younger that he wants to get back into much like me with hiking. Um, Anders has his now side project, but like you, you need to have time. You need to have a hobby that can take it off something. And for a long time, especially, you know, before all of us kind of came back into it, Counter-Strike was our hobby from like our real job. And then all of a sudden it became a real job. And now you had to find a new hobby, but you don't have any time to actually do it. And you don't have the resources when you're constantly traveling. Um, and that, that slowly just wears on you. And some people handle it better than others. And I mean, we can just kind of get the elephant out of the room here. And I don't think you would mind us talking about this, but that, that whole situation with Matt that went down, that is not an overnight thing. And I think the reason why a lot of us came to his defense is because we know He's not racist. We all like we all have been with him for three years. We know he is not a racist or a prejudiced person, but just a bit of an idiot. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> but that is just like a slow buildup of he loves racing and he never he was he was never allowed to have any time to kind of get involved in that. Um, and he was never, ha you know, he never got to be able to do it the way that he wanted to to be involved with racing. And he never got to drive his cars. He never got to be with his. And that's a slow build up over time. And obviously, he made a mistake in how he managed that that kind of time in his travel schedule. And we've all made that kind of a mistake. Um, but that is a slow build up to that explosion, and it really puts it in perspective. I'll tell you what, as well, while we're on this, just just because we just had the news the other day of Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know, um, in his in his unfortunate death. Um, the 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 fame and the travel and the money isn't isn't like a victory but it does kind of give you that worry of your mental health if you're on if you're under this kind of strain of having to constantly perform on camera never being able to go home never being able to see friends or family or girlfriend never being able to kind of do some of the other things that you want to be able to do um and and that can and it's very easy to kind of lose yourself in the fame and the publicity and the money of it all you know it's very easy to to feel depressed and like be able to hide that 
um, in the fact that I can put out a tweet, an opinion on Twitter, and I will get so many people agreeing with me. And, it, you know, it's like a release of endorphins, you know, or you can go into an arena and you can hype up the crowd and the crowd will scream behind you to what you're saying. And that makes you feel very, very good. And it's very easy to get lost in that. So the mental health thing is, is something that I think a lot of us have kind of had like a refreshed vision of, of, of being um, – of just keeping our eye on it and keeping cognizant of the fact that we that's that's an aspect of our life that we've dropped the ball in for probably three years and we need yeah. to be able to get back to it. Um, it takes it takes a lot of work too. It's one of those things where I think a lot of people, um, or, or I, th I think it's easy not to consider mental health in the way that the, it, there are skill sets to it in in a sense because yeah. if if you look at um, like some people are just better equipped sort of existentially as it, as it were, they're better equipped to be sort of self-aware, to be like analytical about themselves yeah. and sort of see, okay, this is, I can really kind of see, okay, this is where I'm getting the most sort of resistance or like the most sort of troubling, uh, or where I'm feeling the most troubled. Okay. How, and then you can kind of like deconstruct that and kind of go and repair the bits that are, like that, some people are quite good at that, but then yeah. there are some people that really struggle and it's just, it just feels so ambiguous. You can't pinpoint exactly where the pain is even coming from. If the, and if you can even detect that there is pain in the first place, because it, it may just be that you feel like drinking, you have an impulse to drink, but where is that impulse coming from? That's what the, you know, a question that you have to ask yourself. Well, we all like to be drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's see that that answer for our crowd is a little bit different, isn't it? Well, until you hit thirty and the hangovers start yeah, to get quite severe. brutal these days, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. think that was the funny thing. I don't know how this kind of happened. I don't know how fate kind of put us all on the same path, but we we are all yes men in this Counter Strike commentary group. Uh, you you less so these days, um, but but certainly myself, Henry, Alex, and uh, and all the guys are. It's like, hey, you want to do this? Yep. <laughs> when you go. say when you say this do you mean bar <laughs> the bar <laughs> <laughs> just mostly anything <laughs> okay right okay so yeah it's it's definitely um a, a huge learning experience and some of us have taken a, a few more tumbles along the way yeah certainly but it is it, I, I think it's it's good that all of us have kind of gotten um are now kind of more self-aware of it. I think everyone has like a renewed emphasis on being a little bit more healthy in terms of maybe what they eat. The amount that we, we drink is obviously dr uh, lessened. Um, so what about it, um, the, the situation with, you know, handling the, like having a girlfriend, for Oof. example, because that's obviously very difficult. Like the hard, one of the hardest thing is spending huge amounts of time away from people yeah. you care about. No, that one's tough. Um, I know, you know, I, I'll just speak to my own experiences because I don't know. I don't want to throw the other guys under the bus in any kind of crazy way uh, more than I already have, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the bus is, I mean, it's yeah, the bus used is... liberally today. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, bring it it's up. a good point. Um, no, like I know I've been uh, dating my girlfriend for it will be two years this October. Um, and wow. I've been traveling for, for I know it went quick, didn't wow. it? Wow. That's that um, is. Yeah. And I have been traveling for all of it obviously and it's it's not easy we go on we go on stretches of like you know there have been stretches of three to four months where we haven't where i haven't been able to see her or she hasn't been able to come visit or whatever it is and um you know the, the tough part is when i go home and i only have four days there it's like you know she lives on the west coast as well so even when i go home i don't get a, i don't get to see her um so it's it's difficult sometimes it is it is something where it you know puts me into um you know a spot that I that I want to be in because I want to go see her, but it is very tough to say I have four days off instead of going home and going out to California to see her, um, staying at her place for four days, and then I'm flying out again across the world. Um, but I mean, there's there's just a lot of sacrifices on on both sides, and the majority of it is is probably hers. Um, 
but it's it's not easy. It takes a lot of communication when you're at events. It takes a lot of you know maybe staying in the hotel room for an extra hour before meeting the guys down you know at, at the bar or out for dinner or whatever it might be. Or, um, and the tough part is it's one of those things where I think everyone kind of everyone kind of wants it on a certain degree, right? Like everyone wants to have that girlfriend. It's just like a nice rock. Like someone that you can rely on, that knowledge that you have someone who's like, you know, waiting to talk to you when you get back or when you get home that you get to go see who's, who's very loving and very caring. Um, and it's it's not easy to start that relationship in any way. And I think that's the difficult yeah. part is that it feels it feels hopeless. And I'm not going to lie. When I when I entered this relationship with her, I wasn't hopeless, but like it did feel kind of pointless for a certain amount of time where I was just like, why am I even doing this if I'm going to be on the road so much? And um, you just kind of throw that, you, you just kind of have to take a big risk and it escalates things. You know, yeah, we were dating yeah. for maybe a month and a half before I invited her back to my hometown for, for Christmas. And that's something that normally in a regular relationship you, you wouldn't do unless you were probably in that relationship for like six months or something like that. And you really, really knew, but at, at some point you just have to say, you know, we took our first vacation four months into the relationship together. And it's just like, you have very limited free time, so everything gets escalated. Everything in your life outside of esports gets uh, sped up to a massive yeah. degree where it's just like, you, let's just dive right in, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And um, on a certain level, I guess that's kind of cool, but um, it is it is not easy to kind of manage all that. It is. I think it was a good, like, I liked how you said sort of it, it, it's sort of the rock in a way because... Um, since... I noticed myself feeling more confident in the broadcast when... Where in like you know you have the good the good days and the bad days obviously right yeah, like you have some yeah, days yeah. Where I, like I notice myself and I don't know about you but when when I when I know my relationship is in a very good state I feel much more happy feel much more confident feel yeah. much more open on a broadcast and then when we're having a little bit of a fight then it is you kind of feel like a little bit more lethargic a little bit more toned down less energetic so um, it is it is kind of a wild ride it's, yeah you are tethered to it but it, but it, there's something about like going back to the hotel room because it's so many hotels and so many different places, yeah. but it's always the same. It's the, the one word that I would use is isolation. Like you're yeah. isolated. And I think that relationship is really key. I think that I've discovered because it, it, again, it's something that it's like when you're sick, you don't know how good it feels to be not sick and normal. Yeah. Until you're normal and you're like, Oh my God, I feel amazing. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Right. And I think that's the same thing. It really cut through the isolation that I would feel when I would come back to the hotel room. Because the other thing is that even if you do, let's say in my case, you have time where you can go back to your city. I don't know anyone anymore. They're all gone. Yeah, yeah. They've all disappeared. I don't have enough time to establish anything. So I go home and all my like, friends are married with kids and I'm just like, I'm like I don't know. Yeah. I don't have any <laughs> friends anymore, you know, from my hometown. You know, yeah. It's, like, it's very weird. Listen, Dan, so, I'll always be there for so, you. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> on that it's very, very positive. No, I, no, I understand what you're saying as well. And that's, I will say the funny thing is because, you know, my girlfriend's on the West Coast. So usually with time zones, it's so fucked. Oh, yeah. yeah like, yeah. you know, when I'm when I'm available to have like an actual conversation, she's still at work. And then when she gets off work, it's super late for me. And if I have to do an early game at early call time, I can't stay up that late to talk to her. I can't like, you know, set an alarm and wake up and talk to her. So not that I necessarily that that one's a bit of a stretch. Anyways, the setting of the alarm. thing. <laughs> um, but uh, She would call me out of that. That's the only reason I said that. Um, but it is it is kind of um, the, those time zones are so difficult. And when you get done with this long day, there is something very much where like there are days where you really want to have a conversation or a chat and you really do want to have a call. And then you get done with a broadcast and maybe a game went into like double overtime. Or maybe there was a 30 minute delay. And all of a sudden, instead of being at the venue for six hours, you were there for like 10 and a half and you get back and you have that free hour right before you go to bed. And you're just like, I have no desire to to hop on a call. 
And those those are the really tough ones because those are where like you have to force yourself to do it because you know it's going to make her happy um, or whoever it might be. Maybe it's like a mom or a dad or just a family member or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, things like things like that. And, you know, it's not just girlfriends, though. You know, I, my brother has two kids. I, you know, I've been traveling. I've been away with with two nephews being born over the past uh, two years. And, you know, every time I go home, it's like a whole new person. They, they grow yeah. just a little bit more. So that's a bummer that I'm not able to, like, actually be able to spend time with with family and the new nephews and my brother and everything like that. But um, yeah, there, there's just a lot of sacrifices. I phrase this. I really like the way I phrase this. If I'm going to toot my, my own horn. Yeah, do it. Counter-Strike at, at, at one point in my life, Counter-Strike has, well, not all uh, one point, but Counter-Strike at one point in my life has been, you know, my brother. It's been my girlfriend. It's been my best friend. It's been family. It's been parents. Um, it's been ex-girlfriend like you counter-strike at some point has taken the place of a relationship you know when i was in college and i was really struggling and didn't have a great relationship with my parents um you know counter-strike was what i always turned to to kind of you know forget about the struggles and kind of just leave them by the side for a moment you know when i would break up with a girlfriend and in college or whatever it might be um counter-strike was the thing i turned to 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 make myself happy because i always really enjoyed playing counter-strike so at some point it does occupy a lot of time where another relationship would be and that's where the major sacrifices come in it's funny because I'm just recalling our previous conversation on last podcast where you're like, if there's one thing a pro player shouldn't have, it's a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always three, right? I think I think it's, um, yeah, the girlfriend is always, it would be fun to have a discussion to find people who think which which is the biggest vice to have for yeah, a player to yeah, ruin yeah, a yeah. career. Because there's three of the big ones. It's girlfriends, it's it's cannabis, and it's um, and it's uh, like well, World of Warcraft at the time that this was created, but it'd obviously be something like Fortnite or PUBG now, wouldn't it? Um, but it would it would be funny to have three people on a podcast who think one of the three and have them just lay out their arguments yeah, for it. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that would be a nice podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we'll make that happen. Awesome, Which camp well. do you fall in? Which one is the worst? Girlfriend, cannabis, or uh... the game? I think I think it would probably be I think it would probably be a relationship, I reckon. Okay. Because I don't know, because the 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 because then you have a priority that is another human being. I feel like that priority is always going to be just outweigh everything else. Because 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 you can the other things you can have in your life, but if you really care about winning, I think you can find a way to manage it. But if if there's a girlfriend, like there's another human being. Yeah. Like you 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 like you have to you you have to bend to to you know certain things for that. So um, so I, I would say girlfriend. I think. Okay. Yeah. But luckily, I'm not going to be a professional player. I don't think anytime <laughs> soon. So I'm safe. See, for me, it'd be weed. It'd be, yeah, really? it'd be the cannabis. Really? Yeah. Okay. It'd be the uh, the wacky tobacco. The, the devil's wacky, lettuce. The wacky backy, yeah. Huh. Is so you're talking about tooting a horn, is that a horn that you that you you uh you press as you drive over? It's on yeah, it's, the on, it's on the bus. It's on the bus. <laughs> on the bus. <laughs> that horn is on the bus. Nice. Yeah. All right, well, I think uh as we've come full circle back to the bus, I think it's time to uh drive on to, out of here. To drive on out of here. <laughs> there we go. I right, thank you very much, Jason, for doing this once again. Of course. Well then, that was quite the ride. A brilliant conversation. Jason is is definitely going to be coming on quite a lot, I think, on the podcast. It's always really fun to talk to him, and he articulates very well. I mean, his job is to talk about Counter Strike, so it's it's no surprise there. But uh, yeah, it's if you guys have any ideas as to who you think would be good on the podcast, or any episodes, or, or you know that could be of a particular interest to you from a topic perspective, please tweet me. I will take a page out of the book of Preparara. And if you, you guys can use a hashtag, hashtag AskDDK, that should work. And I will get into the habit of checking that. And I will answer your questions and throw that into the beginning of some podcasts. 
And I think this would be quite cool as well because I do actually get a lot of questions about various uh, subjects and you know it, it doesn't have to be relevant whatsoever to the podcast that will be about to take place. It can be questions about current events. It can be questions about you know, my thoughts on you know, various uh, approaches when it comes to you know, being a competitive player from you know, sports psychology, you know, whatever you want, honestly. Um, hashtag AskDDK, I'll, I'll give that a check. And that will that will be really cool. I think it'd be a nice way to segment the podcast to sort of diversify the content a little bit, and also you know get uh, just just get more more ideas out there, and that's always good. Ideas are good. We like ideas. So I suppose that really does it for now. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.